This is Kara Oakleaf, director of Fall for the Book, a literary arts nonprofit based here at George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia. We're pleased to be hosting this episode of Mason Out Loud with Danielle Evans. Danielle Evans is the author of the story collection, Before You Suffocate Your Own Fool Self, winner of the Penn American Robert W. Bingham Prize, the Hurston Wright Award for Fiction, and the Patterson Prize for Fiction, and an honorable mention for the Penn Hemingway Award. She is a 2011 National Book Foundation 5 Under 35 honoree and a 2020 National Endowment for the Arts Fellow. Her work has appeared in magazines including The Paris Review, A Public Space, American Short Fiction, Callaloo, The Sewanee Review, and Phoebe. Her second collection, The Office of Historical Corrections, is forthcoming from Riverhead Books. She received an MFA from the Iowa Writers' Workshop, has taught creative writing at American University in Washington, D.C., and the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and now teaches in the writing seminars at Johns Hopkins University. Danielle, thanks so much, and welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, it, it's really often said, especially um, for students who are coming up in the writing world in MFA programs, that short stories are a difficult sell. Um, but that's often what writers in MFA programs are working on. And you had really fantastic success with your first collection. Um, did you always know you wanted to write short stories? I don't know that I ever know what I want next. <laughs> I only know what I'm doing. But I mean, I, I think that part of the issue is that everything is a hard sell. I mean, people sometimes get worked up about the idea of a story collection versus a novel. And I often give advice that's half encouragement, half despair. And I say, well, look at the percentage of novels that sell and then look at the percentage of novels that are still in print in like a few years later. Like, I mean, the sort of idea that we're going to sell a book to the publisher we want and have it have all of the publicity we want and then have it make a lasting impression on the world is what we all hope for and is rare in any form. And so I think the thing, the worst thing you can do to give to position yourself for that is to write the thing you don't care about. Like, that's the thing you'll never sell because you'll never finish it. Or if you do, it will bore everyone else because it bored you. So I don't think it's a particularly good reason to not write short stories if that's what you want to be writing. At the same time, I do think that in MFA programs, we could be better about creating space for novelists, about making the workshop form work better for people who are working in longer forms. I do think that there are in some ways different skill sets. And I don't know that people who aren't particularly profoundly in love with short story are served by writing a bunch of them. I think one or two to help you figure out the shape of something and how to finish it. But I don't know that specializing in the short story to become a novelist is the best path for everybody. And I think that part of our job as academics is to figure out how to make the space more flexible um, so that people don't feel like they have to write short stories or that short stories are their apprentice work, which I think like contributes to the impression that they don't sell because then you have all of these like competent but kind of unloved books that people are trying to sell because they're finished because they're their MFA thesis, which probably is like watering. I mean, what's the, what's the opposite of watering down? It's um, saturating the market. <laughs> yes, it's flooding the market. That's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I do think that we need to like make space for people to write what they love. I, I do think I have at least one novel in me. Um, but I love the form a lot because I think there's a lot of room in it. And it's a good form to kind of try lots of different things at once in. That's a challenging thing to think about, too, in terms of how you accommodate something like a novel in a workshop. Because it really is a challenging thing to try and, and bring into a program like that. Yeah, I mean, I've taught at smaller programs where it kind of worked because everyone was in class together. And so there'd be at least a sort of a body of people in every workshop who'd seen earlier sections. But I think it can be difficult because sometimes what you need for a novel is space. You don't need a bunch of opinions on the first draft of the first chapter of a novel that probably you'll get to the end and delete. Um, and so sometimes it's a question of timing of like, when is it strategic to bring a novel to other people and how can we 
provide that space to create a long project and then that space to read and talk about it. Who are some of your big influences as a short story writer? Um, I think that almost all of us right now are lucky to be working in kind of the era of the Alice Munro short story that in terms of people who make maximal use of the form, who write something that sort of can put profound pressure on the form without necessarily being like openly experimental, though she can also do experimental things. But I think there's so much capacity in an Alice Munro short story. And I think a lot of the, the writers I'm interested in now are doing or playing with that sort of use of space um, of being able to be in a present moment and also operating in kind of the past and the future of that moment and thinking about the implications of whatever changed in the moment that the story is putting pressure on, but being able to track it through time or move through time to sort of show you in what way that sometimes small moment resonates. Um, I also feel like early in my career, I was really excited about writers like Victor Laval, who was also one of my earliest writing professors, and Zizi Packer, whose work kind of was really important to me as somebody who hadn't read a ton of contemporary fiction and was interested in the way that people were writing kind of complex Black characters. I think also, like, one of the great things about being a writer is you get to keep having influences. So my my first book came out a decade ago. My next book will be out later this year. And one of the things that's happened in that decade is I've, I've read a lot more stories that sort of play with realism. And I'm, I'm generally a realist writer and probably always will be, but this collection I'm working on is, like, a little bit weirder. And I think that that's partly a way of... It's because I've had the chance to be in conversation with other writers who are doing some interesting things. So like Carmen Marie Machado and Rihanna Walker Scott, uh, Nefesa Thompson Spires, um, Laura Vandenberg, uh, my colleague Eric Hockner, people who are like playing with realist characters, but also like able to do some sort of, to play with speculative fiction to kind of push the boundaries of genre a little bit. Um, and I think it's like nice to be able to continue to be influenced about what the form is and can do. Okay, now I'm upset that I can't read your new book yet, but I'm really <laughs> looking forward to it now more so than I even was. In your in your first collection, you have a lot of stories that, that are fairly long. Um, is that a form, the longer short story that comes naturally to you, or do you find there's particular challenges to plotting and structuring longer short stories? I think it does come naturally to me most of the time. Um, I mean, and also that there are challenges. Yes, and um, I think that... I don't know, someone once described me as a maximalist short story writer, and that seemed maybe true, that I try to put a lot of things, like I, I always want any form to have more things in it than can hold. And so part of what I'm thinking about in terms of moving through time in short stories or thinking about the relationship between the past and the present or the pressure that the past puts on the future is about having the room to sort of get at both the moments where there is an obvious resonance and also sometimes some of the moments where there's a less obvious resonance. But I do think that because the story form in general is can be unforgiving, right? If you take up too much room or make the reader read for too long and don't have something to offer them for it, that I do sometimes think in terms of like structural trade-offs, like what am I promising the reader? Um, am I giving them that or something better when I slow the story down a little bit? Um, I don't know. I've tried just as a challenge to myself to write shorter stories and almost everything I'd written that was shorter ended up longer because editors had to make it longer. So I feel like I can give myself permission to um, to write long. But I also do think that like knowing that I write long, it's, it's useful sometimes to edit for like what a story can lose. I think a lot more of the editing process in my first book was cutting things that I didn't need because I was still learning what I could let go of. 
and there's been less of that in this in this round of revision because I've sort of got sort of gotten better at seeing what I can drop before I show it to somebody else. In your first collection, there's a number of stories that are centered on adolescents or young adults um, at, at these moments of decision in their lives that feel very, very crucial. Is there something about that stage that feels particularly compelling to you as a writer? I think it's a stage that lends itself really well to the classic short story form, because the short story form is often about a moment that feels like there's a before and after, right? Um, and it doesn't have to be a huge thing, but I think that part of the, the point of adolescence is that so many things feel so consequential and un- ideally they become consequential and inconsequential in ways that are surprising but it sort of lends itself to a classic story structure where someone has to make a choice and something happens I also think adolescence is useful writing space because it's a really good age for one of the things I think about a lot is interiority and the gulf between the public self and the private self and also I'm really interested in the characters who are engaged in some kind of conscious performance of themselves and and sometimes I think about that structurally, like like the ways that women are conditioned to perform, the ways that people of color sometimes have to kind of perform themselves for an audience. But I think teenagers are almost always in performance mode, right? And like at a certain point, and, and often aware of it, very conscious of like, this is how I want to be seen and this is what I'm doing to be seen that way, mm-hmm. in a way that gives you a lot of space to work with. And that at a certain point in adulthood, either you you drop some of the acts or the actors just become who you are. <laughs> so... Um, which is not to say that, that, that that's not interesting territory, too. And I think in some ways, that one of the ways in which the, the stories I'm working on now are different is that they are less about adolescence. And so some of that has meant finding new structures that a lot of the stories in my new collection are in the present tense, um, which is which is a really different space to be working in. I think the present tense relies sometimes on a little bit more trust with the reader it asks you to sort of be able to see the inconsistencies in a character before they've seen them themselves and pointed them out, um, which is what you get sometimes with retrospection. I also think that structurally, you know, in in a story about adolescence, often if we think of the story as having like a traditional plot arc, the active plot and the emotional plot of a coming-of-age story are often the same plot, but the break happens in the same place. The fallout happens in the same place and sort of where you arrive emotionally is a consequence of whatever's happened. Um, you know, whatever can't be undone or whatever decision has been made. And I think that sometimes stories about adulthood, because it has fewer kind of dramatic chances to make a choice that feels permanent and irreversible, end up having a different relationship between the active plot and the emotional plot. Like the active plot might still be traditional, but it might not matter at all, right? Like here's what's happening, but the emotional wavelength of the story is somewhere else entirely. Or here's this sort of seemingly nothing is happening surface level. Like there is nothing big, but emotionally there's a sort of major arc catharsis. And so... So I think part of what I'm playing with in moving away from adolescence is story shape sometimes. Yeah, that's really interesting how uh, how like character and, and form come together in, in, in some of what you're saying there. One of the things I, I thought about in looking at the first collection is the ways that you develop your characters alongside one another, particularly like Tara and Allison in Snakes or the narrator and Laura in Harvest uh, and the ways that these characters come together and separate and come together again sometimes over a long period of time over the course of a story. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you go about developing character in this way? Yeah, I think character is often who we are in relation to other people. Um, and I think sometimes we don't know who we are until confronted with somebody who makes us sort of do something we didn't anticipate or answer a question we didn't know we were asked, we were going to be asked. So I, I think that I'm interested sometimes in pairs of characters especially pairs of characters over time because they tell us something about who each person is that we wouldn't get from looking at them in isolation. 
I think one of the things that's interesting, and this is true in, in both books, although some of these are family relationships, but like one of the things I write a lot about is friendship. And I'm interested in friendship and friendship over time, in part because it feels like a relationship that's purely by choice and also a relationship that we have to choose over and over again, right? That sort of, at a certain point, if you've made, if you're attached to someone because they're your relative or you have made a romantic or family commitment to somebody, you have to choose to get out of that. And sometimes you you can't, right? But I think you can just like end a friendship without really actively making a choice sometimes. And so to choose to actively end a friendship is one kind of interesting to choose over and over again to stay friends with somebody or to stay in a kind of fraught relationship that feels like a friendship with somebody is interesting. And I think for that reason, deeply characterizing. And so I often like think about friendships over the course of time or failed friendships or would be friendships as in terms of what choices were made or not made and what they tell us about the difference between someone then and someone now. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're about to release a second uh, short story collection at what point in the writing process, I guess for both books, did you start seeing your stories as a collection? And once you have the idea of a collection in mind, how do you go about shaping it, making those sometimes very difficult decisions about which stories you know you want to include? Yeah. Um, and I think in some ways the answer is both at the beginning and at, not until the very end. Um, when I was, um, while I was working on the second book, I was I was supposed to be writing a novel. Um, uh, okay. And... So I was writing all of these like little secret short stories that I kind of wouldn't tell anybody about till they were about to be published because I wasn't supposed to be writing short stories. Um, and I had accumulated enough that I was like, okay, these will be a collection someday, but I wasn't actively thinking about it as a book. And it wasn't because I because I work in academia, you occasionally have to tell people like what you're going to be like your ten year plan for life. Yeah. So I would I would make up various things about what my collection was about just by looking at the stories that existed, and I'd make it up. And sometimes I'd be wrong. Like I, at one point, I I was saying all of these stories in the present tense, and looked at them again, and I was like, they're not all in the present tense. Half of them are. So that's not a yeah. link. I would say like all of these stories are about fraught interracial relationships, but only like two of them. Were, you know, I kept kind of thinking, well, like. I don't quite know what this, these all feel like they go together to me, but I don't quite know why. And also I'm not even supposed to be doing any, I can't do anything with this collection until I've written the other book anyway. So, and then I got to a point where I just, I got invited to do a thing that at first I thought was going to be kind of like a, a quick piece of flash fiction for this kind of topical special issue of, of Barrel House magazine. Yeah. Um, and I was like, this will be a couple of pages. I can take, a couple of days away from this like last pass of the novel and I ended up being like a 12 page story and I had so much fun with it and also felt like it was trying to kill me and I was like this is what it's supposed to feel like when you're writing something you're excited about <laughs> and I kind of realized that like whatever state the novel was in that was where it was going to stay because I had done as much as I could with it but I didn't have that energy for it anymore mm-hmm. and so it was like a kind of cathartic moment in which I was like also I think my story collection is almost done because this story in some direct way was about apology and correction and the desire to make things right that couldn't be made right um, and how people kind of live in the wake of things that can't be made right. And I was like, oh, that's kind of what this book is about. It's also about stories that kind of do a little bit of sleight of hand about who the protagonist is, about who you're supposed to sympathize with, where I want complexity, but also a sense that like sometimes if somebody does something harmful, like why they did it didn't matter. And so I, I, the various things that I tried to play with in other stories were suddenly like very clear to me in the in the second to last story that I'd written. And that was sort of what I understood how to talk about the collection in terms of history and apology and correction. And I also had this idea that I thought, 
I thought it was an entirely new novel, and then I realized that it was actually just a different version of the novel I'd been working on, and also that it didn't need all of that space that it could be a novella. Wow. But it made, but it was sort of right in the lane of the thing that I'd realized my book was about. So that was kind of the last piece, um, and it made sense to me. And so then I just kind of held my breath and hoped that my agent and editor would would see it that way. And thankfully, they they did. So. It, it's it's interesting <laughs> how that writing process just like took on a life of its own, and and what you thought you were working on changed so much over the course of of that time you were working on it yeah I mean it's one of those things you tell your students all day is like write where the energy is you know do the thing you're excited about and then seems very obvious in retrospect (laughs) you maybe should have taken your own advice harder to take take your own advice than it is to give it sometimes yeah so I was going to ask too about the the new collection which includes a novella now that's what you were working on as a novel and it and it changed shape or kind of I mean yes I think if you'd seen them both together you would see the trace the traces of the project and the other um but it, it seems doubtful that anyone will ever see them together because i think that i've, I've taken what was usable in the novel and, and made it into this novella partly it's it's the sort of the i mean the novel was and partly the novel ran into just a kind of time problem that it required me to create an alternate kind of political history that i felt like i couldn't figure out how to solve the problem of in the present anymore um like i tried all the ways i knew how to solve it and also I just kept having to do math every time I went to the book. And I was like, there has to be a book where I don't have to do any more math. Um, so this is not why I became a writer. But um, the the novella is about a person, it, it, it's a slightly more speculative version of a character who's trying to figure out how to like keep people honest about history. Um, the original character was working on a textbook, which is probably also like in retrospect an obvious like red flag, like... <laughs> the plot of this book is a woman who is writing a book. It's impossible to write. Um, but, so so I, I made that problem of history more active, um, and I don't want to say too much about it yet, but um, she works for an agency that's sort of meant to sort of correct people's understandings of history, and it's fraught, and, 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 but it's also a much more active version of the same question. And because I was sort of zeroing in on a, on a line of plot, I got rid of some of the extraneous... I gave her an equally complicated romantic life from the novel, but I got rid of some of the family drama in the novel because she only needed so many problems, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but, but the character was um, more or less kind of the same. You've, you've also been teaching writing for a long time. How does your work as a teacher affect your own writing? Or do you find that they're just very connected? You know, it comes and goes. Sometimes I feel like I say something and I hear myself say it and suddenly I've solved a problem in my own work. And sometimes I say something and it sounds really smart and then I go to try to write and I'm like that, I don't understand what I how to do this. Like whatever I just said to do in your writing, um, it sounded good, but it has nothing to do with the blank page. Um, I mean, I think the thing that is most meaningful to me as a teacher is that it is easy to feel for all kinds of reasons like, like fiction is inconsequential, like art is inconsequential. And I think being in constant conversation with students being constantly introducing new work to people and seeing how they respond to it is a good way of kind of reminding myself that like art really matters to people, that stories really matter to people, that, you know, whatever kind of fragile world we're trying to live in, it's like easier to live in when there's when there's some art to go along with it. Um, and so I think it's kept me motivated to do things and also curious. Um, and sometimes it puts some pressure on, you know, because I'm teaching and I want to be able to teach things that, you know, to not teach the same things over and over again, to teach things that are current alongside, you know, work that I knew earlier. Um, I'm constantly reading new things and, and reading them 
thinking about what will what my students will love, but also what they'll respond to with an interesting debate or what will sort of expand their own horizons. And so sometimes I also get things back from them that like I wouldn't have read on my own or that I wouldn't have been super interested in if someone had described it to me, but on the page it really works. And so I think I become a more expansive reader, both in trying to be prepared for teaching conversations and also um, just by virtue of like getting to talk to people what they're reading and working on all the time. So the new book comes out later this year. Uh, do you have a sense of what you're working on beyond that or not quite yet? Um, yeah, I'm working on a real novel now. Cool. Okay. Um, and I, I decided the one lesson I've learned is that I'm going to talk less about work in progress. So <laughs> that, that's all I'm going to say about that for now. Well, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And that is it for this episode of Mason Out Loud. You can find more episodes of the podcast, including interviews with Jamel Brinkley, Ilya Kaminsky, Rebecca Mackay, and more writers on iTunes and SoundCloud. Thanks for listening and read on.